Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Paving the way for a new generation is the mission of my guest today. Nita Patel is the CEO of the Centre for Entrepreneurs, the UK's leading entrepreneurship foundation. It's an organisation which seeks to release potential and ambition, which are also recurring themes in Nita's own life. Recognised as one of the UK's most influential women in enterprise, she has established herself as a preeminent voice on entrepreneurship and opportunity for the next generation. Nita, welcome to Changemakers. Great to welcome you to the show. You and I have known each other. We were just saying probably since um 2012 i think yes indeed um, michael yeah, thank the... you very much it's, it's it's an absolute honor to be on the show i have been following the change makers podcast religiously and uh great to see so many people uh good friends and, and people i admire also on this show so oh well well this is it's great to welcome you because i was just thinking back ahead of this interview is that you have been one of the great voices in the UK enterprise debate, fueling, you know, I guess the ambition culture and all of the things that make the UK such a great home for for entrepreneurs. Tell us a little bit about where that comes from in terms of that kind of interest and that drive to actually be part of the part of that ecosystem. I think the entrepreneurial zeal has always been in me. One of the starting points in my life, I guess, was, you know, we we, we came to this country from from Kenya where I was born and you know when, when you're kind of an outsider there's a drive to to make the best of the opportunities presented or to seek out opportunities and you know my career and I'm, I know we're going to talk a bit about that has always been about looking for opportunities mm. looking to see where things could be better looking to see where we could add value etc and my my kind of journey into entrepreneurship came through rather convoluted uh, big corporate intrapreneurship as we call it now about 10 mm, just just over 10 years ago Oliver Paul who's the founder and chairman of the Centre for Entrepreneurs approached me with a proposition that he had an idea of supporting bright young people to set up their own businesses and could we create an organization that could that could help them it was really very much the blank sheet of paper the ability you know the Good startup. opportunity to start something uh there was nothing available as you well know we, we met you know in 2012 even then you know just as you were starting a startup britain campaign so uh, you know again it's been uh, you know seeing the opportunities and taking them on mm. forward and saying i can do this so, so just let's frame the Centre for Entrepreneurs in terms of the day job. Tell us, tell us what it does as an organisation. So we are, we do two things. We have two sides to our business, if you, call, if you like. One is the we, we have a research and policy think tank. So it looks at areas where entrepreneurship can help underserved communities, underserved places. So we will conduct research, make recommendations, publish the research report. But crucially, we think of ourselves as a, as a think and do tank. So once the recommendations are presented, we will try and find support for somebody to support it, us or somebody else to pilot, run pilot programs. So I always think, you know, research reports that end up in people's drawers are a waste of paper and a waste of money. Something should come out of them. And we've been fortunate in having, um, you know, picking on some topics that have been of interest. Um, the, the latest was the refugee entrepreneurship report, which led to a, a, a pilot program, which has now led to the government setting up a, an impact fund. We run two, two networks, two very active networks, an incubator and accelerator network of accelerators and incubators, as the name suggests, and a refugee entrepreneurship network, which is organizations around the world that work with refugees. So that's, that's kind of our think tank activity. On the other side of the business, we've run the, our flagship program is the NEF Plus program, 
which is the original program when the, when the charity was set up, it was mm-hmm. the New Entrepreneurs Foundation, which is when we first met. And the NEF Plus program is there to help first-time founders, first-time entrepreneurs, talent within scale-ups to become more entrepreneurial. And, for, for it, and it's a wonderful, wonderful group of of be kind of essentially young young people sort of making their first early way in the world, whether it's a, a young startup or getting incredible experience. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and, it, you know, hugely successful, I should say, for a small organisation. Just to give you, give you some numbers, 350 people have gone through the programme, 170 have launched businesses, they've, they've raised about £150 million in investment. Mm. And I heard yesterday that the valuation, collective valuation, has now surpassed half a billion wow um, and they've created over three thousand jobs so mm, amazing now we are speaking during scale up week which is the uk's first week celebrating high performance firms celebrating ambition what's your view of the uk right now as a place for ambitious firms to grow and ambitious people to make their their careers? I think it's a lot better than it was (laughs) 10 years ago. You know, the excellent work that the Scale Up Institute have done um, together with organisations like BGF and others and and, and your organisation. So things are changing, but I think more needs to be done. Certainly the spotlight on the value that Scale Ups add to the economy is now better understood. The jobs they create, the value of the economy. I still think there are some structural issues that we need to look at, access to international markets, access to global markets. There are some finance, taxation, infrastructure issues. The Scale Up report each year has said, highlighted access to talent, um, the development of talent is one of the areas. And that's that's really where the mm. NEF Plus program is seeking to help. Do, do you think we can think big in this country? I mean, you know, I often think about you know the sort of the big US programs Y Combinator the universities and foundations like Kaufman and and, and others which sort of give a real sense of I guess infrastructure and and ballast in in the system I mean obviously it's always difficult to compare and contrast especially with such vastly different countries but in terms of that idea about winners and big sort of success stories and thinking big I mean how, how do you how do you rate it here? Well we certainly don't have a Kaufman and we don't have the, the phrase use is ballast and I think that's what's lacking we're not lacking ambition we're not lacking desire so we, we have had this policy of let, let a thousand flowers bloom which I think is absolutely right but it also has to be underpinned by ballast underpinned by a well-funded well-resourced organizations that can really push the agenda forward and, and take it seriously I guess you know there's this you know because today's Today's startup could be tomorrow's sort of like game-changing business. If you were to sort of put a call out of the things that, that you would like to to see changed and evolved, what, what would be top of your to-do list? I think that there's a slight disconnect in the UK from where I sit. Other people may not feel that. We have a lot of talent. We have a lot of creativity. We have world-class universities doing world-class research, which isn't translating into well-funded spin-outs. We have a fantastic creative industries group. Again, you know, world-class. We're great at manufacturing design, but our financial services sector is world-class. There needs to be something that knits the skills of the country with the ability to think big, to trial something very quickly, fund it properly and help it scale. Mm. And that's where I think, I don't want to call it the glue, I want to call it the gel that the likes of Kaufman in the US 
have done so well for over, over half a century. Mm. I think that's what's missing. You know, we have wonderful scale-up institute. We have the Center for Entrepreneurs. We have so many organizations really passionate about this. And, mm. I, and I know so many of them, but nothing that's knitting it together. Right. Well, I suppose that that's the opportunity as well in terms of to, to, uh, to I guess, sort of respond to that. Let's talk a little bit more about you and your story though, Nita, because, you know, with, with typical modesty, you took us from Kenya to a career work in the FTSE 100 to actually helping to create the country's preeminent foundation for entrepreneurship. Those are three very significant chapters. Let's, let's go back, though, to arriving in the UK from Kenya in terms of need to think about that future, sort of growing in education, thinking about what career options might be there. What were your earliest recollections of, of moving here? Well, we came here, in, I, was, I was reflecting on this, August 1973. Coming from Kenya, which is on the equator, I'm sure you realise the days are the same length as, as the night. So at 6pm every night, it's like somebody switches the lights off, it goes dark. And the first thing that struck me about the UK mid-August is it was 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and we were sitting in my uncle's garden, and it was daylight. Mm, must have been an amazing feeling. I couldn't believe that it was daylight for so long, because I'd never, never experienced that. And then, of course, August turned into December, and, and the first and Then you Sunday, got the really short no. nights. <laughs> and then getting up and going to school in the dark was just incredibly depressing. My parents came here, we immigrant family. My mother ran a corner grocery shop, which all of us, my siblings and I, uh, helped to run from a very early age. Quite an a interesting kind of learning curve mm. for us. Talking to and, and what do you say learning? I mean, so tell us, how, how did that shape you, that experience, in terms of what, what you went on to do? What were the sort of impulses and ideas that it got you thinking about? Oh, so many. Running a shop. I remember I was running a shop, uh, running a shop on my own, 15, once my mother got sick. And you had to understand uh, the concept of money, the concept of selling products for greater than the, what it costs. To. We had perishable goods, understanding how and how to you know how you price things to sell before they before they go out of out of date understanding dealing with customers suppliers you know the whole it was running a small micro business um, mm. at a young age and just having to do it but your early career decisions were to not stay immediately in, in enterprise and entrepreneurship but to have a go in very large institutions like like legal and general what, what do you think took you in that direction when i graduated entrepreneurship there wasn't an option so you'd go to career services and I, you know, I had a degree in chemistry and uh, my options were to go and teach, maybe go and do an accountancy qualification or go into research. And I didn't want to do any of those mm. three. Didn't think I was very good at them. And really, I took on a job. You needed a job. I came back to London. I took on a job with a, a, a small subsidiary of BT, which is where my interest in technology started. And that company called Dialcom was selling the first public email services to small enterprises. People listening to this might find it hard to believe that at that time, if you worked in a big company, your email couldn't connect to anybody outside the company. So you could only send email within the company. In, in mail, wasn't it? That, in mail, exactly. Yeah. And BT created this, this service where you could actually, you know, use their email service early, hotmail, if you like, and you could communicate externally. So I was, I got very, very interested in, in technology. I then moved to a, a, a company that was later bought by Reuters, which was online financial information. I had a pause and did an MBA at uh, Bayes Business School, as it is now, as was CAS. My first management job was legal in general. And, and I think I 
I should say there's never been a specific plan to my career. Serendipity mm. and luck has paid uh, well, a huge amount. Well, serendipity and luck, but but I guess also you've mentioned you know, that lifelong love of technology and I guess those experiences starting to shape you. The thing also I'm wondering is, because, you know, I remember with, with my, my father is that he he was an entrepreneur and, and when I was going through school and university, I mean, he basically felt he didn't want that for me. He felt that, this, that the future was big companies, that that was where you should really have your kind of sense of ambition and yeah. sense, sense of place. I'm wondering to what degree were there other shaping factors that were driving you into that sort of big, big company environment? Oh, definitely family and, you know, an, an immigrant's mindset. My parents, certainly, that entrepreneurship or, you know, running a shop is not what they wanted their children to do. So and it's a very Indian thing of get yourself a vocation and a profession, you know, accountancy, medicine, dentistry, the legal profession. So, you know, a huge amount of pressure from my parents to get a proper job and big companies at the time. This is, you know, this is the 80s um, were the safe sensible places to go and work so 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 was there a pivot for you that started to reopen the idea of entrepreneurship private business what gets you to where you are today leading the center for entrepreneurs I think there were many pivots within the corporates I worked in the jobs were always trying to be disruptive always trying to introduce new things usually technology based transformation I worked for the large government NDPB called the British Council that works in 110 countries I think the real pivot came after my time at the British Council I went in there I was came in I was recruited as an external specialist if you like in the in the web space with a view that I'd be there for two years six and a half years later I looked up and I was still there a, a wonderful organization great job but I needed to move, move out of the public sector so I went to London Business School for a for a career MOT and did the Sloan Fellowship program and 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 met and, and many people there who really had had been through the corporate career like me mm. where now you know what can we do that's ours what can we do that really makes a difference that we can own and I think that's where the the, the, the kind of pivot the, the pivot happened because it strikes me that that so much of your span and career in terms of timing also reflects the great changes in the reputation of entrepreneurship because you talked about you know get a proper job we, we had Lord Billamoria on as an earlier guest he, he I think he used that exact same phrase which was his father's early advice when he was setting up Cobra in the 80s and of course, that change in the way that society viewed the role of the entrepreneur, not only as a marker of success, later on as a mark of progress in terms of the ability to make a difference in areas like technology and today being the sorts of people that are seen as the forces for good in the world, those that can use their industry and innovation to affect real change on everything from climate change to social cohesion. Those seem to me to be like really big chapter headings that have mirrored where you have had a direct experience. Do you think that's a fair ass- assessment? Absolutely. Absolutely a, a fair assessment. And and very positive that entrepreneurship has, has, has risen to the fore in the way it has. Yes. Because, you know, people are starting to realise that, you know, entrepreneurship is a force for good. People helping, especially young people, because, you know, the employment landscape has changed. You know, if, if you're graduating out of university now, there is no guarantee you're going to get a graduate place anywhere. So... 
you know, part of what I do is trying to encourage young people coming out of universities to see entrepreneurship as, as a legitimate career path mm. and one that can be very fulfilling and something that they will feel they've, they've made a dent in the world to do something. Do, do you think if you've been through your own program, because I've seen this program, you know, that you get you know, a lot of people in the early stages of life getting a lot of information that can help them shape those decisions. If you had had that experience, do you think I'd be interviewing Nita, the entrepreneur, running our own business rather than the think tank today? Or do you think actually this this is the person you are? What, a, what an interesting question. Uh, one of the things I say as a, as a welcome of every new cohort is that this is quite possibly the most amazing program for you coming in with very little in the way of skills, although they think they have them, skills, connections, networks, and, and you know, a cohort. And I would also say that if this program had been around when I graduated, I wouldn't be standing there. You know, answering your question, I think I would absolutely would have gone mm. into the entrepreneurial pathway. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what I would have done in, in terms of sector industry, but yeah, I think so. Okay, because it's sort of, you know, when you, you meet a lot of people from think tanks and policy and I'm not sure how many of them that I met or have met over the years would have used Nike's quote of just do it as their tip for life but that is indeed your tip for life just do it seize the day get on with it tell us a little bit about that and what it means to you I think again that comes from a very young age of when you know faced with anything you just say okay I can do it or not do it my position has always been just do it you know when at my school a comprehensive school in North London I said to the head teacher that I wanted to go to Oxford and she said we don't do that at the school because we don't have anyone who can support you in the Oxford entrance exam and I walked out of her office and said well I'm going to do it (laughs) Uh, and that's been the leitmotif in my life and it's something I say to the every NEFA that comes into the program just do it if you're thinking about it just do it because you have nothing to lose Nobody mm. dies if your business fails, unless your business is in, a, in, in a medical research. So it's it's been a common factor throughout my life. And, and I really, really feel that. I also think another common factor that I've, I've picked up both in our conversations and I guess my own research for this interview is that you clearly see enterprise as an agent of social change as well, whether it's working on the inclusivity agenda, whether it's working on women in business, whether it's working on refugees and entrepreneurship. It's more than just a motif for success. This is about real social mobility and and transformation, I think. Tell us a little bit about what it means to you. I think it means economic self-empowerment, which is the most powerful factor for anyone to either be part of society or or be an active member of society. And economic self-empowerment is something that entrepreneurs go into entrepreneurship for. I think it's one of the reasons why entrepreneurship is such a great leveler, assuming everybody has the same access, is, you know, people look at entrepreneurs as successful people. And if you're an immigrant or you're you're a, a refugee or you're, you're from an underserved community or, you know, your schooling hasn't been very good. Entrepreneurship can, it can be that wonderful leveler. And mm. I genuinely believe that. But, but a lot of people, I mean, you wouldn't have to 
go to too many interviews the other side of this in terms of people that would totally disagree with the idea that business is about social mobility, that that it does good things. You know, you would hear many that would say, you know, entrepreneurship is a proxy for, for greed and selfishness and actually not making a difference. What is your retort to that as, you know, speaking from the vantage point of running a think tank dedicated to the study of the contribution of entrepreneurs to society? Well, running a think tank and also running a development program and seeing hundreds of young, you know, the future leaders, if you like, coming through. I would disagree vehemently that they view entrepreneurship as, as, you know, the the greed is good of the 80s is, is gone. And I'm seeing businesses set up by very young people who are who really want to make a difference so businesses that solve real problems in the world whether it's 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 around climate or around poverty uh, around access around equality and so on mm. i would be right at the other extreme to those people saying I, i'm sorry i disagree because i what i'm seeing from what i do is is quite the opposite because I think the other theme that that comes up is inclusivity for you, isn't it? Now, to quote your own quote, you know, you've you've spoken about building an inclusive future for the next generation of of UK entrepreneurs. I mean, there is this sense about the what comes next really does matter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But one of the impacts of entrepreneurship that isn't talked about very much is the kind of ripple effect that people have. So one entrepreneur from an underserved community creates ripples that go and last for a very long time and influence and you know a large number of people so inclusivity for me is, is not a box ticking exercise mm. you know it has to anything we do has to represent the community the society that we live in and presumably it has to be real and more than just a kind of tick box exercise in a in a report i mean you know you, you've spoken about immigrant communities and self-employment and entrepreneurship as being this vital lifeline in in terms of growing and thriving in in communities what can be done do you think that can really accelerate that and supercharge it as being a lot of people talk about the UK as that it should be going from an ambitious position as the most entrepreneurial nation on the planet or whatever, however you choose to describe it. But if you were to look at how you might supercharge that, what are the what are the conditional changes that need need to happen? I think it's coming back to where we started our conversation. There needs to be resources, ballast, scale, interventions at scale, not small scale. We need to get ambitious and not be afraid of things not working out. You know, we are pioneering in many ways. You know, the refugee pilot that we did looked at four different interventions for refugee entrepreneurs. One of them was less successful than the others. uh, And that's fine. We learned something. And we were able to feed that into future programs. But the issue with all of these things is scale. And that's where I think if if you were to ask me a question about what's different between us and the USA, and it's it's certainly not lack of ambition, it's it's lack of willingness to support scale. Just on that point, obviously one of the big stories of the last couple of months has been the story of Whitney Wolf Heard, the Bumble founder, as one of the most successful female entrepreneurs now on the planet. If you were to hold a mirror up to the UK in terms of the ability of women to make their way in 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 entrepreneurship, we've we know the story in terms of financing and funding and 
is is it getting better or, or or is it just too slow do you think still i'm an agitator by nature things never move quickly enough for me it's too slow it mm. it needs to be much faster uh, you know supporting female entrepreneurship is a campaign idea that's been going on for and last 10 years we haven't really made a dent in this if you look <laughs> at all the figures that are coming out we haven't made a dent in that do you get a sense that there are things that there are interventions that that could be made now to help address that what are the things that can be done to ensure that that kind of i think some uh, the figure i met read about you know social mobility left to its own devices could could take centuries to to achieve how do you put the fast forward on it i think that you know that's that's kind of a million six million dollar question isn't it if, if, if it Six million dollar of funding, maybe simple, wouldn't we do it? I think it's it's a complex and intricate network of interventions, and I will say it again: it has to be at scale and well funded. It's a combination of encouragement, access, the right kind of programs, the right kind of support, the right kind of campaigning, and and you know celebrating uh, to make this happen. It's funny. I was I was thinking about the role of celebration. It's a very important one in terms of inspiring people that they they can do it, that there are role models that they can identify with. But the very sort of spirit of having a go becomes a kind of national virtue. I mean, that's an important precondition, isn't it, in terms of actually encouraging people to take a risk, you know, sort of do something which at the first telling might sound a bit countercultural in terms of what they might go on to do with their life. Absolutely. And I think I think in Britain, maybe we're not so open to failure. Maybe failure still has negative connotations rather than, okay, they tried but failed. But hey, I, I know that if somebody started a business and failed, it's likely they'll, uh, they'll pick themselves up and, and launch another one. Well, I think it's a good segue into your quote for life, which I'll I'll read to you, if I may, which you said that everyone has the right to play, but you have to choose to play. And once you do, give it everything you've got. Tell us a little bit about that quote. Um, That's my quote for life. And it's also, I think, a very strong quote for entrepreneurs. Um, And when I'm seeing them at a very young age, uh, I do say, to them that you have access to one of the or you're about to have access to one of the best programs there is you have chosen to join and I expect you to participate fully and make the best of it and and that's really a quote in life as well you you have to choose to stand up and play and if you have put your hand up don't waste the opportunity don't waste the opportunity what a great message to end this interview Nita thank you very much for joining me it's been fun it's been fun talking to you great to have you with us and that's it for this edition of Changemakers Changemakers